All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, we pray you would open up our hearts, Lord, to whatever you have for us this morning. Lord, even if it's just taking out that one nugget or that one insight or it's the whole enchilada, God, I pray that uh, there would be a growing in you and a release of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 23, a spot in Scripture I have never preached from before, but uh, I think you will find it actually is an amazing story and has some things in there that you may perhaps have never seen before. It has to do with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was dispatched uh, in, uh, in the late AD 30s to disrupt the church. Uh, he was dispatched from the Jewish Sanhedrin, which had a leadership hall, and from that hall he was dispatched with money and with guards to go to a town called Damascus and round up those pesky critters called Christians and uh, imprison them and coerce them out of their heretical ideas. And of course, on the way to Damascus, Jesus punches a hole from heaven to earth and Paul becomes a Christian as in, uh, in that exchange as Jesus reveals himself as the true Son of God. Paul, in the meantime, becomes a missionary for Christians. It's not really mentioned much in the interlying chapters what his old friends thought about Paul and how they took his decision to abandon the mission they gave him and take up the mission that he claims to have received directly from Jesus. Of course, we believe he did. So that's 23 years later when Paul re-enters those Jewish halls. He is now a prisoner, a prisoner of the Romans. He's in chains, called to testify before them and the Jewish leadership as to what his presence in the city means. And I wrote something for my journal I'd like to read for you. It is a place that he had been so many times before. The beautiful columns, the smell of the fragrant incense, even the sound of the echo of his sandals bouncing off the mortared walls brought back floods and floods of memories. Birthday parties, music concerts, captivating orators, black tie events had all taken place in this magnificent Jerusalem building. It had been 23 years since Paul had entered the sacred halls of the Jewish leaders. So little had changed about the room and about the leaders, while so much had changed about the man, Paul. The young men who had handed Paul their coats so that they could throw rocks and stones at Stephen, the first Christian martyr. They would kill him with those rocks and stones those same men were now glaring at him with that same murderous eye, that same crazed hatred. These were the men who fed him. These were the men who taught him. These were the people that he played on the weekends together, that he went to Pismo with, that he went RVing with, that he went backpacking with, that he went to investment seminars with. These were the men he'd grown up with, built trust with, and were his closest, closest friends. They used to complain about those pushy Romans together. 
and how they would imprison and testify against those heretical Christians. And now these same men looked at Paul with a visceral hatred in their eyes that needed no explanation to understand their intentions. In fact, 40 of Paul's former friends had vowed not to eat until Paul was dead. That was the mission. Kill him. ASAP. There would be no discussion. There would be no reasoning together. There would be no agreeing to disagree and no forgiveness. Kill him. It's the most powerful form of rejection on earth. Rejection from those you love. It comes in an endless variety of forms. Sometimes it's not getting that job. Sometimes it's a parent whose approval seems to always just be out of reach. Sometimes it's a parent who decided not to be a parent at all. Sometimes it's a spouse who comes home and says that they no longer love you and that they're in love with someone else. Sometimes it's a friend who suddenly blindsides you with betrayal or a child that turns their back on your love. A company that lets you go and says they're going in a different direction. Or maybe someone who simply never returns your phone calls or your texts. We call it ghosting. I think that's actually an appropriate word because it's a person you loved who used to be there and is no longer there. It feels like rejection. It is. It is rejection. In fact, there's no doubt that rejection causes a real acute kind of suffering. Ask any counselor, ask any therapist, and they'll tell you that most of the people that they meet with are dealing with some form of rejection that has taken on and manifested in a psychological problem. In fact, it's probably the most psychologically damaging thing that we can do to one another. It cuts deep to the core with lingering runes that can splinter in many directions. And rejection lodges itself deep in our memory, altering the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see situations, and the way we see God. That's why when God spoke about divorce, he called it violence because it was the deepest form of rejection and it was a violent act to do toward that person even if there was no physical or verbal violence in the act. And so Paul had been rejected by thousands and thousands of people. He was a missionary. <laughs> he was an evangelist. He would go, he would, he would preach about Jesus, and some would bite and some wouldn't. And some of those, some that wouldn't, wanted to beat him, throw him in prison, take all his money. They wanted to hurt him in every way possible. And the interesting thing is Paul, Paul signed up for that. He knew that would come. Not to say that didn't hurt, but he was prepared for that. Rejection from strangers is one thing. But rejection from those you love, it can be a deep, deep pain that doesn't go away all too soon. So now he's amongst people that he had deep attachment to. 
and he can see it in their eyes. He doesn't know that 40 of them have vowed not to eat until he's dead. But it doesn't matter. He knows that in their thoughts, he hears the words, crucify him, crucifying, going on and on and on. And so we get to Acts chapter 23. This is where Paul is at when we begin verse 1. He is, like that picture you just saw up there, he is facing his former friends. He's got a Roman detachment behind him most likely, so they can't rush him and stab him. He gets his one chance to talk to them. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience today. He says, and then at verse, at verse 2, it says, At this the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Yes, that is a, a severe insult. In the ancient world, it was a severe, severe insult. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, well, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest. Hey, I've been gone for 23 years. I don't know who's in charge right now. They used to kind of share it amongst each other. He says, I did not realize he was the high priest because it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. We'll go in a minute why Paul, Paul kind of walks back his defense of himself. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, those were different factions of Jewish leadership, called out in the Sanhedrin, which was the leadership body in the hall. He says, my brothers, I am a Pharisee. Descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute began to break out amongst the leaders and the assembly was divided in verse 8. It says the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, that there's no angels or spirits. When you're dead, you're dead, that's it. You did what you did, and then you're gone. But the Pharisees, they believe all things, that there's an afterlife, afterlife and angels and spirits. So you got division here. And in verse 9, it says there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and said, we find nothing wrong with the man. They said, what if an angel or a spirit has spoken to him? And of course, in verse 10, the dispute began to get so violent that the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces. And so he ordered the troops to go down and take him away by force and back into the military barracks. Verse 11, don't miss verse 11. Acts 23, 11 is hidden and tucked away. When I read this, I hope you know what's happening. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. I've looked up this word. This is not metaphorical. This is not symbolic. This is not in a dream or in a vision. Jesus shows up. On the night after Paul experienced the greatest rejection of his life, Jesus shows up in person to comfort him. I hope that tells you something about the God you're serving. 
sometimes he'll personally show up to comfort you. He says, Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And we'll unpack that in a minute. If you have your discussion sheets, go ahead and flip that over. We got four points here that really come, this is as exegetical as you're going to get out of me. It really comes straight from the text here. Point number one is this. Sometimes people are not rejecting you. They are rejecting God in you. It can feel like they're rejecting you, but they're rejecting God in you. They're rejecting God in you. That's why Paul starts by saying, brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God. He didn't say, I fulfilled my duty to you. He didn't even explain his duty to them. He said, your duty wasn't a great duty. Your duty was to imprison and hurt people. And that duty wasn't a good duty. It was a bad duty. It didn't give me, it, my conscience was not, it's no longer clear to do that. My conscience is clear before you of the duty that I've had before God. Interestingly enough, if Paul was not a Pharisee, if Paul was not known to that group, he would not have started off his address to them, brothers. Notice that? He says, my brothers. He would have said something like, esteemed members of the Sanhedrin. Oh, lofty and noble Pharisees and Sadducees, I stand here before you today to proclaim the news in which I have for you. No, no, none of that. Because they would have all been going, Paul, we know you. Just say it. And so that's what he does. Brothers, my brothers. What is Paul saying when he starts with brothers? I haven't rejected you, but you've rejected me. That's what he's saying. You're my brothers. Doesn't start off enemies. <laughs> You're my brothers. I, Paul hadn't rejected them. They'd rejected him. To Paul, they were still brothers. But to Jewish leaders, Paul was simply a throat that needed to be slit. Paul begins by dealing with the rejection by acknowledging, I have a clear conscience before God. And my clear conscience before God is greater than your acceptance. And I'm going to tell you right now, that principle is the hardest principle to live on earth. My, I, I can't go with you there. I can't do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to go down that road with you, whoever it is, your friends, your coworkers, your family, all your peeps in your life. I can't do that because I can't do that with a clear conscience before God, so I can't go that way. I'm not talking about people you could give a rip less about. I'm talking about people you love and care about. When you got to say, uh-uh, I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to think that, believe that, or do that. Because my clear conscience before God is more important to me than my acceptance before you. I won't smoke that. I won't say that. I won't drink that. I won't, whatever it is, making that stand as Paul had made. They rejected Paul. But Paul, what Paul is really saying is, you're rejecting God. It's God who's changed me. It's God who I'm living for. It's God's principles that I'm standing by. It's Jesus' gospel that I'm preaching. So, you know, you can hate the messenger all you want, but the message creator is who you really got a problem. You know, the message generator is your real problem. And I think Paul was able to find a degree of comfort 
and saying, you know what, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus in me. Uh, a little while ago, there was a, a pastor friend of mine who needed to make some extra money, and he wanted to go and work in an office. You know, was, I can't remember if it was moonlighting or full-time. I never asked him, and, and when he shared the story, it was irrelevant because he met with the office manager, and he, you know, he shows him his resume, and it's all Christian ministry, Christian pastoring, Christian all this and that. And, and, uh, and the office manager said, man, I don't know. And the pastor's going, well, you don't know about what? I'm qualified to do all these things. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, he goes, I don't know if the people around here are going to want to pastor in the office. You know, I mean, they, we, you know, we, <laughs> we don't do things that would make a pastor feel very comfortable. And I, I just, yeah, you're qualified, but I don't, I, I think, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to work. I don't think you'll find what you're looking for here. That was just devastating. I'm qualified, this is a good job, I got the interview, and you're telling me because I have a minister's resume and that people are gonna be, think that they can't be themselves around me, maybe they're gonna cuss, maybe they're gonna offer drinks after work, maybe they're gonna do whatever they do, and all of a sudden, you know, and he came and he said, you know, I walked home realizing they weren't, they weren't rejecting me, they were rejecting God in me. And he said it almost had a, satis a satisfying feeling knowing that, you know, it's nothing personal. It's God. Uh, if you get God out of your life, then great. Come on in, man. We'd love to have you. But, you know, you're qualified and everything. You'd fit great. But, we, you know, this is God stuff that we're really worried about. Well, I'm sorry. You get me, you get God. Amen? Amen. Number two, do not allow mistakes or misunderstandings to bring unholy rejection. Do not allow mistakes or misunderstandings to bring unholy rejection. Holy rejection is when people reject you for doing what is right. Right? Stand up for God. Stand up for biblical principles. Standing for what's right. You get people who reject you for that. And to, it just still doesn't feel good but you can still have peace with that. You know, okay, you know, I stood for this. They couldn't handle it. They bailed. You know what? I'm not going to take that. I'm going to keep going out with my life. It's sad. It stinks. I wish it didn't happen. But, you know, I'm going to stick true to my principles. That's a holy rejection. An unholy rejection is when you, you did do something wrong. In fact, I see too many God followers bring upon themselves sort of an unholy rejection because they're bad-tempered or they're foul-mouthed or they're too ego-sensitive and they get offended so easily. And all of a sudden, people are like, man, I don't want to be around him. Not has nothing to do with your Christianity and everything to do with your personality. Being mean-tempered, mean-spirited, being easily offended, Needing constant ego strokes and affirmation. People are like, man, God or not, I just don't want to deal with that. Sometimes we can be like that. And this is exactly what Paul's kind of, you know, they go and they slap Paul in the face. And Paul, before even getting like, why did you do that? He starts going after you whitewashed wall. I mean, he starts getting nasty. <laughs> 
Paul was one of the nastiest of the, I would not want to tangle with Paul. I don't care what you think. You know, I know he was like a PhD from seminary. The dude was, <laughs> he had courage, you know. So, man, you slap him, he's going to give it to you. But notice this, he walks it back when he finds out that Ananias is the high priest. Why? Because of the scripture, he said, do not disrespect a leader. He says, you know what? I, I walked up, I apologize. I didn't know. That was my bad. Because he's saying to himself, if you're going to reject me, you're not going to reject me for being a rude, disrespectful cuss. You're going to reject me because I'm standing for God. Does that make sense? And you see that as Paul walks that back. But God says, essentially, if you do something rejectable, repent. Or God will let you reap the consequences of that wrongful action. Too often we ice up our hearts and get cold toward all rejection. We become cold to the people we reject. We become cold to the people that reject us. It's kind of an unhealthy psychological defense mechanism that is straight from the enemy. It may make you immune to rejection but it often results in giving God a bad name and misrepresenting his heart for reconciliation. One time years ago, not this church, but the last church I was at, we had a big college internship program. And we always, we all, you know, in that day and age, I mean, we had people coming out of the woodwork wanting to join this. So I remember one time we had a young man who wanted to join and he was friends, and, you know, he was, I think he wanted to do it more to be with his friends. He did end up being an amazing intern. But at his, in, at, at his interview, I was asking him how he handled rejection. He said, oh, I don't care. I said, really? Not at all? No. I don't care what people think of me. Now, I already knew this guy's reputation. He was mean. He was inconsiderate. He was insensitive. Even with the guys. You know, he just was one of those, I'm going to say it, and if you don't like it, that's your problem. Okay, I get that. I get where that can feel very strong and powerful. You know what happens though? Everybody just doesn't want to be with that person, you know? You don't want to be with someone who's just going to slice you up and say, oh, sorry, you know? You want to be with someone who's just going to be rude and, a, and, and an emotional bully, and then, and, and then when you talk to him about it, they're like, oh, well, deal with it, you know? And so I, I told him, I said, you know, I said, you know, here's the problem. You, you can be kind of mean. You can be kind of rude. And I don't know if I want a mean and a rude youth leader because you'll probably be harsh with these kids and you'll run them off. And, you know, and he was just kind of thinking about that. And he's like, well, you know, he's like I, I always thought that was healthy to not overthink what people cared about you. And I said, well, there's balance. Yeah, you don't want to be a people pleaser and be at the whim of everybody's opinion of you, but at the same time, you don't want to give them reason. He goes, well, that's their problem. And I said, dude, that's your problem. I'm willing to take you, but we've got to deal with this because if you're going to run everybody over, then you deserve what you get. And so, and I think Paul, that's why he kind of walked back a little bit. Like, well, wait a minute, I didn't realize he was a really, you know, He's like, okay, I'm getting my bearings here because he hadn't been there for 23 years. Number three, 
And this is an important one. While it may feel like everybody is rejecting you, when people schedule a pastoral appointment with me and they've suffered a rejection, it's amazing how it goes from the one person who rejected them to everybody is rejected. My mom won't turn my phone calls and my dad's never liked me. And my, I mean, it's just like the whole world is now rejecting them. And, you know, I think that's a common reaction. It's a common feeling. Because you've been rejected by somebody, you begin to feel rejectable and you become overly sensitive when someone doesn't answer your phone call or someone doesn't text you back or someone doesn't email you back and all of a sudden, just the whole world's out to get you. You know what I love about this passage? I think Paul went into the room, looked at all of them and said, they all want to kill me. I can see it in their eyes. I know that look. I had that look. They all want to kill me. But notice what they say a few verses later. Some of them stand up and say, we find nothing wrong with this man. I'm sure in that moment, Paul looked at them and thought, wow, I do have some people here that don't want to kill me. I do have some people here that may be willing to listen. Maybe I did have it all wrong coming into this. Maybe I exaggerated my own sense of identity and acceptance with other people. Maybe I wasn't cluing into everything. Because I think when they said that, Paul went, who said that? Can I buy you steak tonight? You know, I mean, we find nothing wrong with the man. Rejection can make you feel terribly lonely. The Old Testament prophet Elijah was on the run from the evil queen Jezebel. And when he went and hid in the cave, he told, what, no, he told God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. So just take me now. There's no more reason for me to live. I am no better than the prophets before me, and I'm the last one, and it's just time for all this to die. God says, Elijah, there are 7,000 people you do not know. That not only are they not rejecting you, they are counting on you to be in their life. I love that God knows what we don't know. <laughs> That's why it's so important to trust him. God knew there were 7,000 people. Elijah thought he was it. He was down on the last one. Recently, we watched one of the, with my kids, we watched one of the Star Wars movies. And, uh, and it was the last one where they're, where they're I don't know what, call, what he was called, but they're, going, they're fighting the devil and the devil's army. And, uh, and, and of course, it's kind of discouraging because the devil's army's big. And the guy says, or I, I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl, but I remember the line. It stuck in me. They said, evil wins by making you think you're all alone. And it's so true. Evil wins by making you think you're all alone. And then finally, number four. Rejection doesn't define you. God defines you. It's impossible to live the 80, 90, 100 years you have on earth and not experience rejection. You won't in heaven, and we wouldn't have in the Garden of Eden, but everything between the Garden of Eden and heaven 
there's going to, you're going to suffer rejection in some form or another. It can sink you. It can fillet you. It can do a lot of weird things to you. But you cannot let it define you. You cannot walk out your front door and say, you know what? I am a reject. I have a feeling that's how Paul felt when he left the Sanhedrin. Yeah, Paul wanted to go to Rome. But really, if you read Romans 11, and I, and I don't have time to go there this morning. I, I didn't do that exhaustive of a study. I really wanted to stick to these verses. But if you read Romans 11, you want to do that for fun, you will find that Paul had a huge heart for the Jewish people. Paul had a huge heart for the Jewish leadership. Paul had a huge heart for every single person, including the 40 who wanted to kill him, that they would come to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. And now they've just rejected him, most of them. They take him back to the barracks, and he's sitting there. And he's thinking, yeah, I'll go to Rome. I'm going to go to Rome. That's great to go to Rome. Man, I really wanted to lead my people to Christ. I really wanted to see Jerusalem become what it could be. I really wanted them to see Jesus as the Messiah they were waiting for, not to have them wait for thousands and thousands of days or months or years. I really wanted that chance to give my testimony and show them. But he didn't get it. He was met with rejection. So there he is standing, because, you know, when you're chained to a barrack, you're hanging on chains. He's standing there and I think one of the most powerful things that could ever happen to anybody happens Jesus appears it's him he's human I mean he's human because the Bible says he stood human stand I guess he could have been a bear but I don't think that's Jesus' style Jesus came and he stood next to Paul. And he said, Paul, take heart. Take heart. He encouraged him. Paul, I'm with you. Rejection doesn't define you. They don't define you. I made you. I love you. I died for you. I saved you. I've given you a new purpose and a new job. They don't define you. Your rejectors don't define you. I define you. And Paul, even though you feel like you failed big time in Jerusalem, you're going to knock it out of the park in Rome. And I'm sure Paul said, well, but Jesus, I don't even know if I'll make it out of Israel. They got 40 people who won't eat until I'm dead. Jesus said, you just leave them to me. Don't you worry about that. If I say you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. And there's no human being that can stop my plan. Paul made it to Rome. He made it a very, well, a very Holy Spirit-filled way. <laughs> got lost in a storm, got shipwrecked. I mean, the whole, whole kit and caboodle. But he finally made it to Rome. 
But before then, he was able to testify while he was still in Israel. And when he testified, he actually gives us a little bit more of what Jesus said. If, if you look at the Acts 23, Jesus just says, take heart, I'll make sure you get to Rome. But he actually said more. I hope you know that. Jesus probably stood there. They, they had a conversation. And here's, Paul gives us a little more of what Jesus said that night in Acts 26, three chapters later. He says that Jesus spoke to him and said, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a service servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Remember, the shipwreck hadn't come yet. And he, Jesus says to Paul in verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and I'll rescue you from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, rejection doesn't define you. I define you. 